This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. I am... Thank the Lord. Very cunning. Most girls are, though we're not given due credit for it. It's Catherine called Birdie, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. This is Katie's birthday episode. So she got to do the intro. <laughs> also, it just makes more sense in your voice. Because I am not a very cunning lady, as it turns out. <laughs> we are doing Catherine Called Birdie today, Katie's birthday pick. We got a lot to talk about, more than I thought. So we're going to get right into it. If you have not read or watched Catherine Called Birdie, but you still want to listen to the episode, don't worry, you can. We're going to give you a summary of both the book and the movie in Let Me Sum Up. Let me explain. There is too much. Let me sum up. All right. I sourced my book summary from Wikipedia um, with a couple edits. The story begins in September 1290 when Bertie describes her world, her father's manner, her father and mother themselves, and the people she encounters daily. The novel is marked by the Catholic Saints' days. Catherine is called Bertie because she keeps many birds as pets. She has three older brothers. The eldest, Robert, is a knight. He weds his betrothed, though she is only 12, and she dies from complications while giving birth to, the, to their child. Her second brother, Thomas, is in the king's service. Edward, with whom she corresponds and is closest, is a monk who lives in an abbey nearby. Bertie's mother wishes for her to be an accomplished and docile lady, while her father wishes to make an advantageous social connection through her marriage. Several suitors approach Stonebridge Manor, intending to woo Lady Catherine, but all fall victim to her clever pranks. Eventually, her father demands that she marry an old, repulsive man she calls Shaggy Beard. She spends the year describing, describing in her diary, fighting the marriage, devising various escapes and alternate versions of her life where she will run away and be a monk or escape overseas and go on the Crusades. Her favorite uncle, George, comes home from the Crusades and falls in love with Bertie's best friend, Lady Alice. Because George does not have a high position in society, they cannot marry and both end up wedding others. George, an eccentric older Saxon businesswoman named Ethelfretha, and Alice, a seven-year-old duke. Bertie begins to wonder about fate, love, and responsibility. As the day of Bertie's wedding approaches, she runs away to her uncle and aunt. She realizes that she will be the same no matter whom she marries, thus she allows her uncle to take her home. But when she arrives, she is confronted with the happy news that Shaggy Beard has died in a tavern brawl, and she's now engaged to his son, Stephen, who is clean, young, and educated. This match pleases her greatly, and she starts to dream about marrying him, counting down, counting down the days until she can see him. 
All right, here's the summary for Catherine Called Birdie, no comma, the film, uh, also sourced from Wikipedia. Catherine, known as Birdie, is a 14-year-old English woman living in 13th century Lincolnshire, and her father Rollo, her mother, uh, sorry, with her father, father Rollo, her mother Aislinn, and 17-year-old brother Robert. Her other brother Edward is a monk at a nearby monastery. The headstrong and rambunctious Bertie is attended by her loyal servant, Morwenna, and, his, uh, and is friends with a peasant boy named Perkin, who often joins her in her antics. The indulgent Rollo is informed that the family finances are in terrible shape and that he can solve them by wedding Bertie to a wealthy suitor. When Bertie starts her first period, Morwenna shows her how to deal with it, and Rollo, Rollo begins seriously looking for suitors. Aislin be- uh, gives birth to a stillborn child, the latest of several such tragedies. Unwilling to grow up and lose her freedom, Bertie begins chasing off potential suitors through strange and off-putting antics. Bertie's friend Alice comes to stay with them. Handsome Uncle George, with whom Bertie is smitten, soon, re- soon returns from the Crusades. Uh, Bertie discovers Alice and George kissing and breaks off her friendship with Alice. George breaks Alice's and Bertie's hearts by marrying uh, Ethel Fritha, a wealthy widow. Rallo announces that Aislinn, uh, Aislinn is pregnant again, much to the anger of Bertie, who fears that her mother will die in childbirth. A new suitor, Sir Henry Murgaw, arrives, and Bertie dubs him Shaggy Beard for his unkempt appearance. Also, I thought his name was John. Whatever. I thought it was too. The, uh, Wikipedia they call him Shaggy Beard mostly. True, so. but also Wikipedia notorious for the. Uh, we yes. copy these from Wikipedia because it just makes sense. It seems silly to write our own summary of a a thing yeah. that is already summarized, but very often they are not like perfectly accurate. And Bertie dubs him Shaggy Beard for his unkempt appearance. Bertie attempts to scare away the much older man, but Shaggy Beard finds her antics alluring, saying that he enjoys the chase. He gives Bertie a purse full of money, saying that she should spend it when she agrees to marry him. Uh, Alice's father marries her off to a nine-year-old boy, but her new husband soon dies. This pleases Robert, who is secretly in love with Alice and plans to ask her to marry him. Alice's father demands a higher bride price than Robert can afford. Uh, dowry is what we call that around these parts. Um, maybe not back then. I don't remember, but uh, maybe it was just called a bride price. Then <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, then Robert can afford, uh, Bertie decides to give shaggy beards money to Robert so that he can marry Alice. Bertie runs off to her uncle George's where she learns that, uh, her romantic notions of George's adventures are false. Ethel Fritha suggests that the two of them run off and have adventures together, but Bertie realizes that if she does so, she will miss her family and friends resolved to marry for the sake of the family. Bertie returns home to find her mother in labor. Complications arise, but Rollo helps talk Aislin through the labor, and she gives birth to twin daughters. The day has finally arrived, and Bertie must say a tearful goodbye as she prepares to leave with Shaggy Beard to become his bride. As the carriage trundles away, Rollo intervenes and says that Bertie will remain with them. Shaggy Beard insists that she marry him, and the two men agree to a duel. Despite his poor swordsmanship, Rollo disarms Shaggy Beard, who fakes a back injury in order to remove himself from the duel. The assembled people take Bertie out of the carriage, ending the marriage agreement. Bertie, who has been keeping a diary of these events, summarizes what she has learned and vows to preserve what freedom she can in her world. As she roughhouses with Perkin, a suitor approaches. The end. So that is a rough summary of Catherine Called Bertie the film. I have a lot of questions. We don't have a guess who this week, I guess, right? No. Okay. So no guess who, but I do have a lot of questions, so we're going to get into those in Was That In the book. Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? Alright, so uh, first up, and this is pretty early in as one of the opening lines, maybe, of the film, and it's in the trailer, and so it stuck out to me, and I was 
because it was in the trailer and it's a pretty prominent line in the film, I was thinking maybe this is like a, a well-known line from the book. Uh, it was also what we used for the opening intro on this episode, and I wanted to know if it came from the book, and that is, I am, thank the Lord, very cunning. Most girls are. They were not given due credit for it. Can't do an accent, so I won't be. <laughs> Katie, is that line from the book, that exact line? Uh, that exact line is not from the book, but okay. it is kind of a good summary of the overall vibe of the book. I mean, I imagined that. I believed that that was the case. Like, I assumed, you know, mm -hmm. that it was, yeah, that it definitely fell in line with the book, but but not no. that exact line. No, I, I did a bunch of keyword searches okay, trying to see if I could even find anything similar. Gotcha. Um, but I do not believe there is anything like that line in the book. Okay. Uh, speaking of the book, turns out in the film, it's revealed that we are, in fact, reading or, or you know, not reading, but the voiceover we are hearing comes from uh, a diary that Birdie is keeping. She's writing a novel about herself um, and, you know, writing a diary, kind of telling her own story uh, at the urging of Edward, her brother. Uh, and we uh, so that's the voiceover that we're hearing. And, and that is how we're being told this story. And I wanted to know if that element uh, of the diary and like us reading her story came from the book. Yes, uh, the book is an epistolary novel. OK. Um, and it is written in diary format. So we are literally we're literally reading, reading her diary. that book. Gotcha. Is there any is the whole thing that like. Is yes. It, OK. There's no like. No, there, yeah, or, there's you know, no framing like or breaks from it. It's okay. literally her diary. Okay, cool. So uh, as we, we mentioned in the summary, or as I mentioned in the summary, we're, we kind of get to the inciting incident that kicks everything off is that we find out that Lord Rolo, uh, Bertie's father, is, um, is in financial straits. He has wasted away all of his money, and he owes a bunch of money because he's a bit of an idiot and spends his money on ridiculous things. And I wanted to know if that was kind of the inside. And so he needs to marry her off to help pay the debts uh, of his, uh, you know, lordship or whatever. And um, I wanted to know first if that element came from the book uh, or and then second, my second question is, while he's we're finding out that he has all these financial issues and, and the, his like aid or whatever suggests finding a suitor for Bertie so that she can marry and they can get money from it. Um, Rollo like is talking about Birdie and he calls her hideous and compares her to a leper. And that really took me off guard because that was not the dynamic of the relationship between. I was expecting some tension and mm -hmm. issues between father and daughter, but that was not really like what I was expecting. Uh, so two part question. Uh, first, do they owe a bunch of money? And two, or, you know, are they in debt? And two, uh, is he, does he make a habit of calling his daughter hideous? And comparing her to lepers. So this is kind of the movie's first real, like, big change to the story. The book does not have a subplot where the family is broke and Birdie needs to make an advantageous match in order to save them. Um, I didn't mind that per se, but I also didn't think it was a particularly necessary change, nor did I think it was a particularly creative one. Um, like, historically speaking, we don't need an explanation for Bertie's father no. wanting to marry her off. So to me, it ends up feeling a little bit like, oh, we need to explain this to our dumb modern audience because they're going to need a reason for it. Interesting. I didn't necessarily read it. At, I didn't necessarily take it in that direction that, that it was felt like a cheap thing to do because they were worried about modern audiences so much as I thought they 
maybe it's a slightly cheap thing to do because it ups the stakes a little more and makes Rolo's eventual sort of mm-hmm. uh, where his character ends up at the end of the story be more impactful because there is this other factor right. weighing into it of of the financial uh, debt looming over them. The fact that he still goes through with not, you know, uh, marrying his daughter off to this guy. Although I think they keep his dowry, so I don't, don't think because the guy I have, says I've got thoughts on yeah, the we'll ending we'll later. The but because the, the guy says you are, I already gave you the yeah. dowry, and it seems like they just keep it. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, we'll get know. to that later. But um, I think that was why I, I, I agree it's not necessary because yeah, it, it's just when they turn fourteen, you marry him off to, or you know, when they get to, when they get their when, blood yeah, or whatever. When they you, get to marrying age, yeah, you marry him off to the the wealthiest suitor or whatever, or whatever politically political expedient person comes along that you want to marry him off to. I like, uh, yeah, I agree, but I also don't think, uh, especially in a post Game of Thrones world, I don't think you necessarily. I think audiences would. Yeah. I don't if they did do it because they were worried audiences wouldn't get that. I think they're severely underestimating audiences, which would be wild considering how many Game of Thrones actors are in this movie. True. Like it, they have to know that, you know, the reason um, obviously Game of Thrones is a fantasy setting, but it, a lot of the similar politics in the way that arranged marriages and stuff happened to carry over from that show. So anyways, um, yeah. Um, so uh, to speak to Rolo himself, he's pretty different in the movie than his character in the book and and i have way more notes on that later but for now we'll say his his movie character is a little bit nicer um but i do think these early scenes are closest to the book depiction okay uh although i don't think at any point in the book he calls her hideous or compares her to a leper yeah and now i will say just to give a little bit uh here or, or you know caveat it a little bit is that he one of his kind of recurring character traits is that he's kind of like he likes to joke and he's, yeah. he always says like uh, uh, it's a jest or whatever. Like he says ridiculous things. And uh, I, I kind of thought that was an interesting idea that there's this like sarcastic character at a time when like potentially that that sort of sarcasm doesn't really. It seemed like that's what they were going for is that he's mm-hmm. this like dry, sarcastic guy who says stuff he doesn't really mean but uh, but everybody takes it completely like yeah. genuinely and he has to repeatedly be like, no, I'm joking. But it, that gets a little muddied in the fact that he also does just seem kind of like an asshole, like, yeah, which is true of a lot of times of people like in modern times who who kind of couch, you know, saying shitty things in sarcasm and saying they're joking. So there, I, that, I think that maybe is what they're going for there, which I thought was a little bit interesting. Um, so point being that in this instance, he may not I don't think he's necessarily like being entirely sincere when he says like she's hideous and looks like a leper doesn't mean it's fine that he said it. But I think <laughs> in his head, he would say, well, I was I was joking, but right. obviously it's a terrible joke. Yeah. It's not funny. Like, I mean, yeah, like I said, I, I do have uh, yeah. more stuff about him later, but I overall, I think his character just got like a little bit muddled. OK, yeah, we have a lot. I had some notes about that, too, later. So. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, eventually Birdie ends up getting her first period uh, and she does not realize what is happening. She's using the restroom and she finds some blood on her undergarments or whatever. And she rushes to Morwen- uh, Morwenna, who's like her lady maid, handmaid, whatever. And it's like, I'm dying. And I wanted to know if that that was a very I feel like I've seen. I was like, I've seen this in. <laughs> That's like a pretty common like joke for mm-hmm. this kind of thing for especially for like 
uh, period pieces where like medical knowledge was not as yes, you know, uh, well found or well known. Um, and so she's like, I'm dying. And she's kind of does this whole very like dram- melodramatic bit about how she's dying and, and must say goodbye to everybody. And then Morwen is like, no, it's you're just having your period. Does that come from the book? She actually doesn't get her period in the book. Oh, OK. Um, and, and again, this was a change that I, I didn't mind, but did feel just a wee bit expected. Um, like, it's fine and I get it. Um, but we aren't really doing anything new with our feminist historical fiction here no definitely not yeah that's yeah like i said i i I know i've seen that in at least a handful of other coming of age (laughs) uh period pieces so uh we're introduced to perkin who's her best friend uh, who's kind of a a weird little kid and they're out in the field playing together and at this point um suitors have started arriving uh because uh, rollo has put out the call that he has a, a daughter of marrying age Uh, And so suitors start showing up so that they can take her title. Um, And uh, the first one shows up is Russell Brand. Uh, And thank God he's only in this scene. Uh, As I mentioned in the prequel, I was worried how much he was going to be in this Mm -hmm. movie. He's literally only in this scene, which I was very grateful for. Yeah, he's in like three minutes of this film. Yeah. Uh, But it's a fun scene. In particular, there's a line. This is also in the trailer, but I thought it was very funny. It's delivered very well. But this felt there's a handful of these moments that very distinctly felt like modern comedy to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this was one of those moments where uh, they're they're like going on about how uh, they're he's like, I'm looking for the lady Catherine, uh, you know, and Catherine herself is pretending not to be Catherine. And her, her and Perkins are kind of like putting this the suitor on and they're like, oh, she's really hideous and blah, blah, blah. And they say that she has a third ear. And he's like, a third ear where? And and birdie says the back of the neck and he's like is it functional and she goes spare (laughs) and that line got me it's a very funny line uh and i wanted to know if that came from the book but i have a feeling it did not because i felt the spare part in particular i was like that that's a that's a modern that's a that's a writer's room comedy joke (laughs) and you're correct this specific exchange is not from the book there is a similar scene where she runs off a potential suitor by pretending to be a villager uh, and pretending and uh, telling him that the Lady Catherine is ugly and crazy. Mm. Um, but it's does not include this exchange. Yeah, I will say I don't want to. Uh, it's going to sound like I'm being like, I'm not actually particularly critical of the fact that some of this stuff feels like more modern mm-hmm. kind of like you can tell it's like this is this is more modern comedy. Um, because there's actually a lot of elements that I'll talk about here shortly that I think are really interesting about this movie that I think actually, at least my in my uninformed opinion, nail some of the weird eccentricities of what I imagine the 1200s were like more than <laughs> other things that depict uh-huh. that time period. And we'll get to some of that here in a minute. Um, but a couple of these scenes, yeah, just feel particularly a little uh, anachronistic, I guess, at least in their writing. Uh, so then we find out that uh, George is coming to visit Uncle George, and and we it is revealed that Birdie has a huge crush on her Uncle George. Uh, he is her favorite uncle, uh, but more than her favorite uncle, she is in love with him. And I wanted to know if that aspect came from the book, but then eventually it's revealed that George and uh, Alice and I, <laughs> I always have to remind myself it's Alice because it's spelled in yeah. old timey. <laughs> language it's a-e-l-i-s which i assume is where alice comes from probably but it looks like a-list or something but anyways um alice who is one of her other best friends along with perkin uh 
Alice and, and George end up kind of having a little fling and she sees him kissing and she gets very jealous of them when they hit it off. And I want to know if all that dynamic came from the book. Uh, yes, this is one of the more book accurate subplots of the story. Uh, I had forgotten about this part of the book. I think my note literally read, oh, no, she has a crush on her uncle. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a great line in the you know. movie, and I don't. I actually meant to ask if this came from the book, where her and Alice are talking about it, and she's like, and Bertie's like, oh, if only he were my cousin, because <laughs> then she could marry him, but she can't marry her, <laughs> her uncle, but she could marry him if he was her cousin. Although that does not come okay. from the book. Um, but Uncle George and Alice do have a brief romantic flirtation, uh, followed by some pining when they can't get married. Mm. Uh, more pining on his end than hers, but... okay. But yeah, so that whole thing does. Yes. That, that, I assumed that would seem like a fairly, fairly strange thing to add. Um, obviously seems very, again, this is one of those things that felt very accurate to me. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing. This movie doesn't really sugarcoat the weirdness of the sexual dynamics and politics yeah. of 1200s yeah. <laughs> uh, England or whatever. Like it, it doesn't per, like try to necessarily like modernize. For, or it doesn't try to like smooth over the weirdness of the the sexual dynamics of this time period for modern audiences. It's like, yeah, she has a crush on her uncle and it's like nobody thinks it's that weird. Yeah. Like like it doesn't seem like anybody thinks it's particularly that weird. And, you know, and, and yeah, and, and 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 like the age thing is never re- like obviously to modern audiences like she's 14. At one point, uh, Alice ends up marrying a nine year old and like it's all very weird. But it's, you know, and, and obviously terrible, but it's like the movie is not trying to like, this is like, yeah, that's how that mm-hmm. shit was back then. Like we just kind of deal like deal with that on its face, which I thought was interesting. It does comment on it here and there, um, maybe in ways that are obviously not that are a little anachronistic. There are some jokes yeah. and stuff about the age discrepancies and stuff, but it is. The, the, yeah, the book is kind of similar. Um and and you know the the idea about like getting married super young in the middle ages i think does get a little bit exaggerated by media right um which and you know it, it's complicated and i'm not a historian no. um but my general understanding of it was that the like kind of the higher you go up in the social strata the more likely you were to maybe get married a little bit younger. Yes, because for very political reasons. Yes, for yeah. political reasons. But then often, like, the marriages were not consummated no, yes. until they were of age. Um, and, and, and Which people, of age still being yes. pretty young, but... Yeah. Right, still being pretty young, but also, like, if you went too far outside of like the boundaries of that people did still think right. it was like weird and wrong yes. yeah. and it, it's complex yeah it is yeah and that is a good point it is not as um maybe as sort of there there were there were like moral standards and stuff and there there were like you know it they weren't like a 15 year old marrying a nine-year-old was not like a normal thing that people were just like yeah yeah. Everybody just marries nine-year-olds, whatever. Like that's you know, and it, yeah, you know, there, there is that is a fair point that it is. Those are like usually very specific scenarios where it's like political yeah. things, and yeah, they, you know, they're they're not they're not consummating said marriage at nine and twelve or whatever. But um, yeah, it's it, it, again, I thought it was just yeah. I, I enjoyed the fact that the movie didn't like try to like get no. rid of that stuff. Yeah, and I just want to acknowledge that it is like more complex. Um, 
because this idea that like oh everybody married young back then is sometimes utilized by nefarious characters um within modern times oh yeah um so i did want to bring that up that that's maybe like not quite as common as media makes it seem or as like conversations surrounding that idea make it seem like Uh especially if you were just a normal non-noble person person, like the average age of marriage was late teens early 20s yeah like Like, you know a little a little little younger younger than than what we're used to now but like pretty normal yeah that's fair so then we get in the movie, uh, a string of suitors come to call and Bertie is sabotaging all of these suitors uh, advances. And we get this whole string kind of in montage in the film of, of Bertie and the different ways she sabotages these meetings. Uh, and I, I, I wanted to know if this all came from the book because I was like, man, her parents are terrible at this. They do not <laughs> like if you're if you really want to marry your daughter off to one of these suitors, you got to figure out a better system than like yeah. having her come in and just do whatever she wants in front of them <laughs> for an hour and then leave. Like, this is very strange to me. Uh, Bernie running off suitors is a recurring plot thread throughout the book, although I think the movie does it a bit more. It makes for fun gags. Yeah, the yeah. movie kind of like bulks that up a little bit and beefs it out. Um, But it is a recurring plot thread that runs through the book. Her parents are also far worse at it in the movie. Like, why would they let her perform a song? Yeah, I was like, what did you think was going to (laughs) happen here? They're they're having dinner with this one suitor, and her mom's like, oh, she's she's going to perform a song for you of her own composition. And I'm like, lady, what do you think think is about to happen? happen It's not like again, because at this point in the video in the film, we've we've seen a montage of her sabotaging several suitors. Yes, like you think all of a sudden she's gonna come in and sing like a a a wonderful dulcet like like, yeah, like a sweet little love song (laughs) or something. No. Yeah, parents are a little dumb, but it's fine. Uh, So then uh, during one of the suitors dinners uh, that she actually starts to kind of hit it off. um, And I believe this is when she says she wants to start trying. Maybe I can't remember. I think you're right, because there's she hits a point where she's like, "Okay, I'm going to try. Yes. To do what my parents want me to do. Yeah. um, She's like, the rest of this isn't working. Let, Let me try. Yeah, let me yeah. try like being a model daughter and like suitor yeah. or whatever. Um, and so, the, and this particular suitor is like closer to her age. Yeah, and they they kind of hit it off for a second. Like they have a little bit of a conversation where they seem to kind of be getting along. Uh, but then she, they announce, uh, Rollo announces that um, Aislin, Bertie's mom, is pregnant again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this sets Bertie off, and she gets very upset, and she kind of blows up on her dad in front of other guests and everything. Uh, because her mom has had a half dozen miscarriages at this point or something like that. And apparently the midwives or whatever on the last one said that it's very likely she won't survive another one or something like that. And so Bertie's like, are you literally trying to kill my mom? Like, what are you doing? Why would you do this? Why? You know, blah, blah, blah. Um, very understandably, like a very, Mm -hmm. and the movie paints it as such, like a very sympathetic understanding outburst. And I wanted to know if that came from the book because I thought that was a, a very interesting. I liked that scene a lot. The scene is not from the book, uh, although Bertie does frequently express concern and distress that her mother could die trying to right. give birth. Yeah. Um, and we have a similar setup to it where she's had her mom has had like five or six miscarriages. Um, and the midwives have said, like, you know, if you have another one, that's probably going to take you too. Yeah. But I did like the scene in the movie, uh, and, and I thought it made a lot of sense to m- kind of more concretely tie 
her mom's situation to Birdie's anxiety about get, yeah. getting married. Yeah, because that is a big aspect of Birdie's kind of anxiety about marriage in the film is her anxiety about birth, like yeah. giving birth. She knows if she gets married, she's going to have to have kids. And yeah, she's seen what her mom has gone through with that and, you know, the potential outcomes and it, it, it weighs on her a lot. So, I, I, yeah, I, I thought that was a really, a, a really well done scene. Uh, and I believe this is the same scene. Yes. Is that after she storms out her uh, Rollo and, and tries to cover and he's like, oh, she's just not feeling well. I think there's a, a little bit of pox going around and the guests are like pox. Oh, they're like, yeah. let's get out of here. Uh, and then we get this kind of very, again, this this maybe of any scene was the most yes, like this is a modern yes comedy scene because <laughs> they're like, oh, it's a pox. Oh no, I don't. And they're like, it, it's like you can tell they're. It's like I don't think they're riffing necessarily, but the delivery of it is. It just I felt like I was watching The Office or something <laughs> like. And again, not yeah. necessarily no, in a it's, bad way. It's giving who's on first. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like not necessarily in a bad way, but it's just and the Rivian is like, oh, pox. Oh, it's not. No, don't. No, don't leave. It's not a it's not a big pox. It's a, a small pox. It's just, and then like and then that's the joke, obviously, yeah. for modern audiences is it's small pox. Um, you're like, oh, it's a small pox. Just a small blah, blah, blah. And I wanted to know if that scene came from the book, because that one, again, if any of these <laughs> scenes in this movie, if, if you had to have me put money down, <laughs> is, was this from the book or is this uh, a. uh a 2022 written uh, a scene i would say oh yeah this this was written in the last three years <laughs> uh yeah this is absolutely not from the book um but I, I think you hit the nail right on the head in your assessment of it i don't you, i don't know if that joke even works in the middle ages no i don't like, think it does i don't think it does they wouldn't know what smallpox yeah not, i don't think you know Again, I don't know when smallpox. Became. I don't. I don't either. But I. I mean, again, I'm not a historian, but I associate smallpox with a, a like a later. Well, and so the joke, like they may have called something like a smallpox, and right. that may be where the term, like where smallpox comes from, eventually. Right. Like Possibly. what we call smallpox, but I they would not have called the same thing smallpox that yeah. that we modernly refer to as smallpox and so the joke for the audience watching is that there's they're saying this thing that is a reference to this other thing that is not a thing yet in their time um i, I actually like the thing that's funny is that i actually don't know i think it might be reasonable that they would say that that like people from that time period would be like oh it's just a smallpox like that though those words may not be like completely out of place yeah to maybe. say but there wouldn't be the added like layer right. of comedy to it, obviously, because they don't have they didn't they probably had smallpox, but they maybe I don't know. I don't know the history. I don't I don't know the history of smallpox. I just but, know that like from from my knowledge of yes. history, I associate it with a later time yes, period. Yeah. yeah. And, and and for sure they would not have known and called and it's clear in that scene because they're not referring to smallpox. Yes. He says smallpox and they're not like, oh my God. Not that small, but you know, they're not referring to the concept of smallpox, they're referring to a smallpox, which you know, whatever. It's, I think it's a fun scene, it's just very clearly like, and again, more so even than like what it the obviously it's like a modern reference for modern audiences, but even beyond that, it's just the delivery of yeah. it all is so it's like such a modern like, comedy yes. delivery that I couldn't, and the way it escalates, the way the like bit builds, it's just like, oh yeah, okay. 
and again, to contrast that to a lot of stuff in this movie to me that felt like, and I'll talk about it here in just a second, that I that I felt like was really felt more period accurate types of comedy and stuff, and like mm-hmm. the stuff they would find. I don't know. I, I just think, yeah, that scene really stood out to me. So uh, she then runs. I think this is the same scene, continuation, where she runs out and she's kind of wandering through the village and she stumbles across this this young man who is selling mittens. This is later. Oh, maybe. This, yeah, okay. this is later. Oh, this is Halloween. No, maybe. it's no? um, it's it's uh, George's wedding, I think. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I, yeah. At some point, she's out and she's wandering around town and she stumbles into this guy who is, I think you're right, who is selling mittens mm-hmm. from a cart. Uh, and they, they're kind of talking and chit chatting and the, the guy, the the young man, um, says like, Oh, I'll give you a pair of mittens for a kiss or something. And she says she's never had a kiss and whatever plays out. He gives her a kiss and it's her first kiss. And I wanted to know if she gets her first kiss from a mitten man in the book. (laughs) No, she does not. Um, she gets her first kiss from Perkin in the book. Um, eventually like much later in the book and, and in a friend way, not Mm. in like a romantic way. Um, but I preferred the movie's version. Yeah. I thought I liked the mysterious dashing mitten man, (laughs) dashing mitten man. He just shows up and he's, selling mittens and he disappears i also loved and i assume this is a historically accurate bit that they're like three finger mittens Did i think that, that? Uh, yeah i, think I that assume is historically yeah accurate. I, don't, I don't know why why they would have done that if it wasn't but yeah it's they, they're like they look like uh they look like claws like yeah there's some character that but yeah that yeah they're like three fingered yeah. mittens which was interesting so then at george's wedding to uh ethel fritha or whatever her name is um in the, they're having the ceremony afterwards or the, the reception basically afterwards. And she's sitting at the head table and she ends up kind of having a conversation with Ethel Fritha. And it's very clear during the ceremony and everything that her and George are not, or that George, at least in the ceremony, we're introduced to her and she seems very eager to marry George, but George is not very clearly mm-hmm. not into this. Uh, he's just marrying her for, you know, political slash financial reasons, or I think primarily financial reasons. Yeah. We find out she's very wealthy because she's a widow. Yes. And uh, but during this dinner scene, Bertie has a conversation with Ethel Fritha and it's revealed that she also doesn't really care like she, she or she's very much aware that George is not in love with her and she's not particularly like she likes George, mm-hmm. but that she's not particularly like in love with him necessarily. Uh, and she kind of gives this very real world, you know, real talk life lesson to Bertie about like marriage and everything. And I thought that scene was really interesting. And I want to know if it came from the book. So the parts of this are from the book. Um, a lot of what Ethel Frither says to her comes from the book, but it happens with a different character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Bertie in the book gets the chance to meet uh, Madame Joanna, who is the king's cousin. Um, and at first she's disappointed because Madame Joanna is a, a very elderly old woman and not a glamorous princess. Um, but they have a nice chat uh, about like again some similar things to what Ethel Fritha says to her, and Birdie comes away from that feeling like hopeful. Yeah, I, and for people who haven't read or watched, essentially Ethel Fritha's kind of their conversation kind of boils down to her saying like, "Look, I you know this is an arrangement for uh, you know he gets money. It's like a mutually beneficial arrangement. You know, I, obviously we're not marrying for love, but there was other reasons to do it. And I can't remember the whole context of the conversation, mm-hmm. but that, you know, like she ends up, uh, Ethel Fritha ends up getting, you know, kind of like, um, I don't know if protection is the right word, but she has something along those lines. Like she has like a, yeah, she says like mainly what 
George is providing for her as protection. Yeah. And, and like gives her because she's like a, a wealthy widow. And so yeah. now she has this, you know, strapping guy who can kind of help, uh, you know, protect her finances and stuff like that. Um, and and they get companionship and it's, you know, they, they like each other. And I thought their their whole relationship was really interesting in the movie. But anyways, I like that scene a lot. And so mm-hmm. so it is from the book, kind of just. Yeah. A little, a little bit different. A little bit, yeah. Uh, but I did think that that change made a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, especially because this this Madame Joanna, we meet her once and we never interact with her again. Yeah. So I think you might as well take the essence of that scene and, give and just a, a give it to a, a more relevant character that we are going to interact with again. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, so then uh, we Alice, who again, who is Bertie's friend, who was originally her and George were kind of smitten in together and were potentially going to be wedded. Uh, but then that didn't work out because Alice ends up getting married off to a nine-year-old from some other, I don't know. Some He's other, like a duke or something. A duke from somewhere So, or like, she marries up. Yes. Uh, her father marries her off to this nine-year-old. Uh, and we meet the nine-year-old briefly at this wedding, but then at George's wedding. Uh, but then uh, we find out very shortly thereafter that the nine-year-old died of a fever. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, Bertie makes a joke about how they because at the wedding, we he he's like when we're introduced to him, he like shows Bertie. He has like this radish head doll. He's like, this is my doll. And they're like, <laughs> oh, great. Um, and then when, when after he they find out that he died of the fever, Bertie's like, I wonder if they buried his radish head doll with them, which I was like, good Lord. And her mom begrudgingly laughs at this joke. Uh, and I wanted to know if any of that came from the book. Uh, worse. Uh, in the book, she's actually wedded to a seven-year-old. I think at this point, when nine or seven, I, I mean, you could say worse, but I didn't like. We're, I, I guess we're splitting hairs. Here. I guess. Uh, but he does eventually get sick and die. I, I do not recall any jokes about burying him with his doll. Yeah, I will say that that was one that, even though it I, that that was a joke that felt to me like it could be of the time period because I oh, think that's yeah. another thing that people and 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 I'll get into it here in just a second or actually it's my next note um, is that I wanted to know if any of this came from the book is that there's like this this movie does a fairly good job I think of sh- kind of showing the debauchery and the childishness of people from this time period I think in modern times we like to romanticize and I guess romanticize is the right term people from the middle ages as they were all especially nobles and stuff mm-hmm. that, that there were all these like very proper and like mm-hmm. um sophisticated people even even like we simultaneously realized they were very like ignorant of a lot of things but like you know they had this like kind of class and sophistication about them because they were nobles and blah blah but if anything you ever read about people from this time period, they're all fucking delinquents like everything down to the down to the library every last one of them arguably it seems like more so than modern time like well they were all drunk all the time yes they were all drunk all the time drink the water they were all drunk all the time they're you know and even that's a little bit of an overstatement but point being that yeah they're because because yes you couldn't drink the water but the stuff they were drinking they weren't drinking (laughs) like they weren't drinking like 15 percent abv wine they were drinking very mild you know yeah but Point being, yeah, off that being said, they were still very drunk very often <laughs> a lot of the time, more so than modern people are. Um, but we, we like to imagine them, again, as is more sophisticated than they were. And I think this movie does a good job, at least from my understanding historically, of kind of portraying, again, the debauchery and childishness of people from this time period. Like there's they do this Christmas pageant uh, at the 
at one point at the 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 Lord's estate and like people are like riffing it mm-hmm. and like there's there's like it's just very silly like they're not treating the you know you would imagine you I think you would like mo- a lot of people in modern time a lot of modern people would assume that if you were doing like a Christmas pageant right. in the 1200s, it would be very holy yes, and very, very holy, very reverent. Yes, um, because we do think of that time period as being like so religious, right. and like it was, it was. But also, but also, they were a bunch of drunk weirdos who just like <laughs> you know fart jokes and stuff. So like, yeah, it was like, yeah. So like the 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 Christmas pageant like kind of goes off the rails, and and like uh, mm-hmm. Birdie like heckles at one point, and everybody's laughing about it, and it's like this whole you know, and that felt really real to me. Again, from what I understand of the time period. And then when we meet, we're introduced to Shaggy Beard. Um, he like at this, uh, I think it's at the Christmas party or whatever. He he like gets really drunk and he's like storming around and he just like farts in front of everybody. And then he's like, I'm the seventh richest man. I want to fornicate. And he's just like yelling and everybody's like laughing and doesn't care. And it all felt really accurate to me. And I wanted to know if the book had that same sense of like, realistic debauchery and childishness of Mm -hmm. like all of the people involved in this story (laughs) honestly i would say that the book goes even harder on this aspect than the movie does it is constantly ridiculous constantly disgusting in the best way and that was a huge part of what i liked about it as a kid is that it felt like this very real depiction of this time period that I was used to seeing depicted in a completely different way. Yeah, no, I, for sure. Cause yeah, like you said, or like we were saying, it's if you, if you're kind of just culturally, <laughs> um, the cultural understanding of this time period, you would, you would not kind of expect mm-hmm. that. And then, so going in and reading that, I think, especially as a child would be very, it would like take you aback and be like, wait, what is going on here? Be yeah. Very interesting. Um, but I again, from my understanding, it's probably much more historically accurate than our cultural understanding of again the very more like sophisticated, reserved, reverent time period. No, mm-hmm. those fucking weirdos. <laughs> it's one of those things where something like uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is honestly probably more historically accurate in some ways than some other yes. more serious, <laughs> yeah. like you know, lots of fart jokes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but speaking of uh, Shaggy Beard, we're introduced to John Murgaw here. I think his name may be John Henry Murgaw or something like that. Um, but he's just this ridiculous beast of a man. Uh, and so she's trying. To, she doesn't want to be with him because he's really like gross and weird. And he's very old, like compared mm-hmm. to her. He seems to be, you know, in his 60s, 70s or something like that. Um, and so he's very off putting and uh very kind of crude as we mentioned is his introduction is him like farting in front of everybody and like just like i want to fornicate but he's this very rude guy um and i wanted to know if uh well and then so she tries to put him off when he's like one of the suitors she tries to do some of her antics because she's like i can't marry this guy this guy's the worst and so she tries to do some of her antics that have worked to like dissuade other suitors and she like gets up on the dinner table and starts like growling and and being weird and he's like into it he's like nice i like weird people and she's (laughs) like wait a second what (laughs) and i wanted to know if one if if john murgaw's or or if shaggy beard's characterization from movie to book is similar and two if that specific scene where she tries to sabotage it but uh surprise he's into that (laughs) it's like that thing it's a surprise (laughs) that's my fetish it's like uh, if that's the the reveal we get uh with him from the book 
Okay, so Shaggy Beard is from the book, and he does fill the same role of uh, Birdie's unwanted fiance. Uh, he is depicted as old and quite disgusting. Um, however, we interact with him a lot more in the movie than we do in the book. In the book, Birdie meets him once, uh, which is at Robert's wedding, and the movie replaces that with uh, Uncle George's wedding or possibly Christmas. I think it's I don't Christmas. remember. I, it might be George's um, wedding. But anyway, moving that was a choice that I did like. Um, but following that first meeting, Shaggy Beard never actually appears in the text again. And he functions more like a boogeyman. Oh, that she's okay. like constantly worried about having to see him again. I have some mixed feelings on this change. Uh, on the one hand, I, I understand the movie wanting to utilize the character more. I think that makes sense. Um, and Paul K does a great job. Yeah, I would agree. Paul K, uh, the guy who plays him, uh, mm -hmm. people, most people would recognize him. He's Thoros of Mir in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, this is where I recognized him from. He's one of the he's like one of the fire sword guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. the guy that brings the other fire sword guy back to life over and over again. I'm pretty sure because they're part of that uh, religion, yes, the, the, the flame yeah. religion or whatever. And when the other guy uh, who has like the the eye patch or whatever keeps getting killed, he's mm -hmm. the one who brings him. And he's drunk all the time. He's like an alcoholic in the uh, in Game of Thrones. But anyways, is that that actor? He's also in other stuff. But that's what I knew him from. And yeah, I thought he was great. I thought he did really. Everybody yeah. was great in this movie. Yeah, honestly. no, it was, it was a pretty well acted film. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, um, the other half of my feelings, uh, that scene where she's on the table screaming and oinking at him, and he's like into it. Yeah, it's not from the book. Uh, and I, I get what the movie's doing, and and like it is gross. And he's gross, but it also kind of makes it seem like it would work out. I got okay the similar thing of being like, wait, what are we doing here? Because, yeah, it's yeah. Like, wait, okay, so maybe like, they are kind of compatible in a weird way. Yeah, like he doesn't even mind that she's a weirdo. Yeah. Like, like I get what I, I get what I think the movie is trying to do. And I don't even think the movie fails. But in my opinion, it does get a little bit muddled. Like, I'm not sure if the movie just wants us to be grossed out or if the movie also kind of wants us to think that, like, maybe it would be okay. I think it just wants us to think to be grossed out. But I agree that there is a part of me during that scene that was like, oh, you know, yeah. maybe that could work. Maybe. He's yeah. a, maybe he's because and I think the thing that makes it that makes that. I think the thing that's tough about that scene is that if what she was doing in that scene by getting up on the table and being a weirdo was like completely out of character for her mm -hmm. and then he responded by liking it, we would go, oh, gross. Like, yeah. this is weird. That won't work. But we know but her. Like, it's and in we character. know she's kind of a weirdo. Yeah. So like, maybe? So like, it kind of, yeah, like it yeah. kind of makes it seem like, oh, you know, it wouldn't be ideal yeah. being married to this gross right. old man. But like, she could go live in wealth and comfort and also get up on the table and oink. Yeah, like, and he'd be like, uh, yeah, I don't he'd know. He'd be yeah. like, uh, no, yeah, that's my wife. I agree. It is a little strange. Yeah, it does. I think, uh, yeah, I completely agree that I think it works okay, but it does, it's a little mixed because we know that, yeah, your your thought, you're left thinking like, well, maybe that would kind of work in a weird <laughs> way. I don't want it to, but like, maybe. But like, what are we, what are <laughs> yeah. we saying here? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. 
so then my next question is then she finds out uh, she, she knows she has to marry Shaggy Beard and she's very upset about this. So she instead decides uh, I think she's at this point has been able to proposition or convince her dad to let her, let her wait to marry him until uh, the, her mom has birth or gives birth to yes. the baby. And it's, so in the intervening time, she runs off and she finds Perkin and she's like, look, we have to run. We have to get married because I, I don't want to marry this shaggy beard guy. So we need to get married. And he's like, no, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, and his first initial kind of rebuke is I, I don't want to marry you. I don't you know, do you even think about what I want and that sort of thing? Because because that is a, a fair point. And I, and I like that kind of dynamic of she's never really seen him as a, a, a romantic Mm -hmm. partner until this point and now it's just like an escape hatch and he's like why would i i don't just want to be your escape hatch marriage like what are you talking about but then the movie takes it a little bit further uh, and he's like i don't really want to marry any woman and she's like oh and hugs him um and i wanted to know if perkin was gay in the book because perkin <laughs> is gay in the movie um to me that was not indicated anywhere in the text of the book okay uh, it's not indicated like we never see him have an interest in a woman in the book so i guess you could read it however you wanted yeah um but there yeah the movie was kind of very clear yeah, oh, yeah. about that um they didn't really do anything with it but uh, well, um, no, no i mean well we see him kind of with a boy at the end uh, yeah, I guess. Like she looks out the window at the very end of the movie and he's like sitting in a cart like yeah. talking to another boy. I mean, you know, who knows? But like that the right. implication being like, oh, maybe they're going to yeah. Cuz she's looking at she sees uh Morwenna with with Golden Tiger or whatever right. and then she looks over and sees Perkin with this this boy. They're not doing anything, but they're like sitting near each other together in this cart. Yeah. And so it's yeah. Although I will say for the time period it feels like a good solution for both of them. Yeah, that is I'm true. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah, he would be. Yeah, that seems like a good. Although she couldn't because he doesn't have money. Like he's, Right. Like the whole point. <laughs> her father just wouldn't let her marry him because the whole point is that they need money. And uh, Perkin the goat herder is not, I don't think, particularly wealthy. Well, I think her, I think her idea was that they were going to elope oh, and like okay. run away together. Fair enough. She Which, could have just run away regardless yeah. <laughs> if she was going to do that. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then we get this big scene where uh, Ayla, uh, where Birdie is going. Uh, she finds out that George is in love with Alice. Alice's husband has Robert, died. Robert. Sorry, Robert. Um, Robert is in love with Alice. Who Robert is her other brother who lives uh, at the estate with her. Um, and we find out, or she, it is revealed to to Birdie. We've kind of known from the beginning because there's a scene earlier where it's clear that he's like, yeah, smitten with yeah. Alice. Um, but it's revealed to Birdie in the scene, or she finally realizes that that Robert uh, is in love with Alice. And once he finds out that her husband has died, her nine year old husband has died, he wants to marry her. Uh, she's gonna let him use. He doesn't have enough money. They don't have enough money for the dowry for Alice. But he's gonna. Or no, this is before that. Yes. She goes to Alice's to be like, hey, you should come marry Robert. He loves you, blah, blah, blah. But when they get there, Alice's dad is like, you don't have enough money. This is not she's worth more than what your, mm -hmm. you know, what your 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 estate is offering or whatever. And Birdie gets this big moment, which is also from the trailer where she has her big speech and where she gets to stand up. Uh, <laughs> she gets to stand up. Uh, to what's Walder Frey and be like, uh, 
you don't get to decide where we go or who we are or how much we cost like we're things. We're not things. We're people. We can think and we can hear and we can feel. Um, and I wanted to know if that specific kind of section of dialogue came from the book, because it's kind of the big one of the big climactic moments of the film of Birdie getting to, like, do her soapbox feminism kind mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I, again, I just want to know if that came from the book. The uh, scene is not from the book, um, nor is that line. Um, I, I did generally like this scene. It is uh, like you kind of alluded to a little bit feminism 101, um, but yeah. that's okay. Yeah. Um, acting is strong, and I, I think it does make sense coming from this particular character who I would expect to be at a feminism 101 level. Yeah, because that was my note on that scene. I was like, you know, as I was watching the scene, I was like, it's a little like, okay. Um, but again, it's a 14 year old girl in the 1200s. Mm -hmm. Her, mm -hmm. her, 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 <laughs> her, her feminist writings are not going to exactly be like third wave. They're, yeah. like they're not going to be 2022 intersectional, yeah. you know, uh, big, big concept feminism. Uh, it is very basic stuff, but, uh, but yeah, it, coming from a, a, a teenage girl in the 1200s, it feels perfectly natural and kind of like a big moment, big statement for her. Cause at, at its time it would have been absolutely mm -hmm. uh, well, revolutionary, revolutionary yeah. gender politics to, to say something <laughs> like that. So, so yeah, I think it works. And, and again, I think more than anything it's, it works cause it's really well acted. I think Bella mm -hmm. Ramsey does great with the scene. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I thought I, th I thought the scene worked. I liked it, despite it being a little, yeah, feminism yeah. 101, a Which, little like kind of like easy, like cliche. Uh, yeah, a little bit easy, a little bit cliche. And I, I do want to note here that, you know, we do still need stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> there are yeah. still people who need entry point feminism. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a whole side episode about the Barbie movie. Maybe we'll never yeah. record one day, but <laughs> um, I don't even want to put it out there, but. But yeah, uh, about that very topic. But yeah, absolutely, there is there is a need for um, kind of more basic concept, you know, entry point feminism, especially because yeah. this movie is definitely for the movie is for like young adults, yes. like it, yeah. regardless of gender, but specifically for young women. And so, yeah, I, I think having it be a, a, a kind of a good entry point level and like girl but it is like you know it's a big girl boss moment but mm -hmm. i think it's fine like it's it, you know this this isn't this doesn't have to be judith it's not judith butler um <laughs> are you sure you're not thinking of judith butler? maybe i am thinking of judith butler i was thinking of somebody who's octavia's some the other butler i was thinking of was octavia butler who is an american sci-fi author who she writes primarily or wrote i think she's still alive let me look real quick oh <laughs> no no, she did pass away in 2006. Octavia Butler uh, wrote science fiction primarily, you know, concerned that, that, that had a strong themes of intersectional like racism, feminism, class struggle, like lots of different progressive kind of intersectional stuff. That's where my head was going. There's another Butler. Why am I thinking of another Butler? So that's what was going on. My apologies to both Judith Butler and Octavia Butler. Side point, if I did refer to Judith Butler as she or her, they're actually non-binary. Our bad on that. We weren't aware at the time. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking of Judith Butler. It doesn't have to be Judith Butler. Uh, <laughs> name a woman <laughs> challenge, impossible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> name a feminist scholar challenge, 2023, uh, I fail. Um, no, I mean, I know Judith Butler is one, but that, it's not, I don't think that's who I was thinking of. Point being, this doesn't have to be like a super uh, in, in, uh, intersectional, like, 
um, deep uh, modern treatise on feminism. Mm -hmm. It can just be, hey, we're not objects. Fuck you. Like, that's fine for what this (laughs) is. Because this movie (laughs) is for, like, 12-year-old girls. Like, it's it's fine. Like, that's it's okay. We all need an entry point. Yeah. So then my next question, and I have a lot here because this was interesting. Initially, I had a note. I guess I'll start with my initial note is that I had a note in in my odds and ends that is like, I'm not sure that Andrew Scott, who plays Rollo, her uh, birdie's father in this, I'm not sure if his energy works for this role because throughout the f- so much of the film, I kept expecting, I kept wanting to like him. I kept expecting to like him. And for so much of the movie, he just seems awful. Yeah. And like, he has like comic moments that are like funny, but again, that was almost part of what I was like. I don't know if his energy works because like the movie's trying to get me sympathetic with like how he's kind of funny and it's Andrew Scott playing this character and I want to like him, but like, and I thought his performance was really good and his character's interesting, but I, I, I just wanted to like him and I couldn't because he's just awful for so much of the movie. And I, I was like, well, maybe they're not going to redeem him. I thought like they were because what I was expecting coming into this movie is he's going to be he's going to have his issues, but there's going to be like redeeming aspects of his character that ultimately shine through. And he and he gets kind of redeemed, for lack of a better term. And it's revealed that he's not kind of as bad as he is, which is what happens. But the thing that was weird about it to me is that he didn't have those. I I wasn't seeing at least those hidden, like good aspects of his character Mm -hmm. for most of the movie. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden he just kind of seems to be a pretty good guy because then and that, that was my question here. I was like, oh, maybe I'm wrong about Rollo because he does show up at the end when this is after she runs off to George's and, and, and then comes back and her mom is giving birth um, and her mom is really struggling. And they're they're basically like, we're going to we're not able to you're not going to give birth. We're going to have to uh, you're going to have a, another miscarriage, basically, um, or stillbirth or whatever. And uh, but then Rollo comes in and he gives this really like endearing heartfelt beautiful speech to Aislinn as she's in labor and Birdie is there watching and it's a really like heartbreaking and beautiful scene and I I thought it was genuinely sweet and really riveting and the performances are all great but like he's like he he I don't remember exactly what he says but he has like some I was like those are some that's some good those are good words dude <laughs> good <laughs> words in this moment but it kind of felt out of nowhere which I thought was mm-hmm. really interesting because I liked aspects of his character up to this but the only aspects of his character I liked up until this scene was that he was kind of like funny like he yeah. was like a, a sarcastic asshole which yeah. like there's a likability to that but there wasn't what I wasn't seeing was like the tenderness for his daughter like hiding under the surface it's which i thought was strange but also interesting i don't know i had a very mixed feelings about rollo and again i think that was also complicated by the fact that it's played by andrew scott who is like from different stuff i've seen i have kind of anticipation of like what i think his character is going to be like and how he plays characters and stuff so i wanted to know my question is Rollo, book to movie, how are the character compared? We talked about this a little bit earlier. And then specifically, is the scene where he comes in and kind of like helps Aislinn through her uh, labor, does that specific scene come from the book? Sorry, go. Okay, so first, (laughs) uh, the labor scene is something that happens in the book. We just don't see it like we do in the movie. Um, So I'm going to read a quote 
uh, from the book. My mother worsened, and we sent for Father Hugh to ease her dying. And then my father came home. He threw Father Hugh down the stairs, opened the window in the solar, cast all of us out, and stayed there with her, pacing and whispering and shouting until dark. He came out then, face gray, but eyes shining, to say that she lives, and will live. I thank you, God, and the Virgin Mary, and my father, the most unlikely agent of a miracle that I know. I think he just battled the devil and won. That one specific line is in the movie. Uh, my father, the most unlikely agent of a miracle that I know. Yeah. But yeah. And I, I really did like this scene in the movie. Uh, I like that we got to see it. Uh, I, th I thought it was very sweet and that it made a lot of sense to show it, considering that the direction that the movie takes with Rollo and his relationship with his family, especially Birdie and also his character arc. Um, but that direction and depiction are fairly different from what appears in the book. Uh, he's a little bit one dimensional kind of in the book. Uh, Rollo is a former knight. Uh, he's kind of an uncouth brute, uh, greedy, but he's shrewd and he's at least somewhat intelligent. His interactions with Birdie in general aren't great, but we can see his positive traits kind of in the background of her, her narration of her life. Uh, he is devoted to his wife. That um, is the only redeeming quality yeah. in the movie that we see. You can tell he really does love. Yes. Aislinn. Yeah. It, yeah. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. He's, he's devoted to her. Um, and in regard to like money management and that kind of thing, it seems to be the opposite of the film. Mm, okay. uh, the household and the village both seem to have more than enough to go around. And there are multiple instances in the book where like a cottage or another structure in the village burns down and then they're immediately building a new one like the next day. So he and Bertie don't get along, but it does seem like he takes pretty good care of the people he's responsible for. Um, Bertie does come to realize that maybe he's not as awful as he seems, but it's more subtle and a little less on the nose than what the movie does. The movie tries for that, and I think it mostly succeeds. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the biggest complaint I have is that he just doesn't quite there's not i needed one more early moment in the film of compassion for his daughter that i felt like was missing mm -hmm. like i think that was the only thing because i do i i agree i think the movie does a great job showcasing like i love the scene where he, where she stumbles in and they're like having sex in the morning yeah. and then like he kisses her and it's like very clear that he's very smitten with his wife and all that sort of stuff and cares about her deeply um, and I like his character. I thought was interesting. And I just I think there needed to be. And, and I think towards the end, even before his big change, like the big end kind of thing, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, and and even be right before this labor scene, I think we get like one little scene where we kind of see some of his feelings and like, you know, the fact that he does actually care for his daughter. I just think I think the movie needed like one little element of that a little bit earlier to make me see that it was somewhere there. Yeah, because it just felt like there was not like it felt like he really did not care about his daughter at all yeah. until like all of a sudden he did towards the end, um, I guess was maybe my only complaint. But anyways. Yeah, well, I mean, and I think that's kind of one of the advantages that the book has over the movie is that we're getting all of this like filtered. Kind of extra filtered through 
Birdie's perspective because it is her diary. Yeah. And we know that it is like very specifically her perspective and the way that she sees things and the way that she perceives her father, um, which I think is what the movie is trying to do at the beginning. Yeah. But it doesn't quite work the same way. Yeah, I would agree. Because we're not getting that same like, oh, I'm reading your diary. Right. Feel. Yeah. We we it's it we're we're regardless of the fact that that the movie still does the voiceover and we know this is like a diary of events, when you're seeing this from the perspective of a movie mm-hmm. from this third person removed perspective, it feels like a more neutral account yes. of things than I think is maybe yes. what the movie was going for potentially. Um because, yeah, he just, for mo- the most part, seems awful, pretty much, other than, uh, in relation to Birdie, he seems pretty much awful until he's just kind of not all of a sudden. Yeah. And that was, I think, my biggest complaint towards the end, is that it felt a little sudden and easy. Yeah. No, and, I, and I do think, like I do think Andrew Scott did a good job, but I, yeah. I agree with you that his redemption at the end felt a little easy. Uh, I also wasn't sure why he always seemed to be in his pajamas. That I loved. That I thought made sense. I totally felt like the idea of this kind of drunken, just like Lord who just lounges around and doesn't really care to get dressed for anything. Cause why, who cares? Like I, I thought that made perfect <laughs> sense that he's just kind of wandering around in like his robes all the time. I thought totally fit his character and like his characterization in the movie. I thought that was a fun detail personally. Fair but. enough. Uh, but then his big redemption moment with Birdie happens at the end of the film. Uh, and so I'm going to ask all three of the, I have three questions here. I'm going to ask all these together. Cause you're going to answer them all together. Yeah. Um, first, I want to know if um, one, does he, he in the film, he ends up uh, tracking that she rides off in the, sorry, let me back up. Shaggy beard shows up to take uh birdie away to marry her she gets in the everybody says goodbye to her she gets in the cart and rides off with shaggy beard but then rallo who is feeling very uh uh, not not thrilled with all of this decides not not gonna do it he rushes off to go get her stops the cart um and essentially challenges shaggy beard to a duel or no he doesn't challenge him to a duel he says hey you can't take her We're, we're taking uh catherine back with us and Shaggy Beard is like, uh, no, we're going to duel about it. So they're going to have a duel. One, I want to know if they duel tool, duel two. I want to know if this specific exchange comes from the book because it's fantastic. Uh, this is this is Lord Rolo's big, uh, <laughs> big tongue lashing moment. Uh, when he stops the cart, he says to uh, Shaggy Beard, I would burn in hell for allowing my daughter to spend her life with a man as rank and un- uniformly uncompelling as yourself. She would die of boredom, and furthermore, you resemble a bear who has attempted union with our local locksmith. It cannot be, uh, which is a great, great line. In particular, the uh, with a man as rank and uniformly uncompelling as yourself. Uh, uniformly uncompelling is a great insult. Um, <laughs> I wanted to know. So that is my second part. Did that any of that dialogue come from the book? And then thirdly, during the duel. Uh, we, we have established in the film that Rollo is not a particularly good swordsman. He has been training, but he's not good at it. He doesn't care much for sword play. Um, so he, this, we're, we're, we're worried that he's not going to be able to handle this duel very well. But he, and he does get cut, but he does manage to end up disarming Shaggy Beard. And after he does that, Shaggy Beard fakes an injury, uh, like a back injury. He's like, oh, my back, oh, the, we got to stop. Uh, and like basically runs off and runs away. Um, and I wanted to know if that part too, because 
that in particular and the way this whole thing ended where the whole village kind of crowds around and like pulls her out of the cart and the whole ridiculousness of this guy like faking the injury and it was also over the top but once again similar to the stuff earlier with like the crude humor and all that this felt very real to me mm-hmm. like the kind of ridiculous nonsense that would happen in the 1200s where you you would read some historical account of some duel and then like the some guy fakes an injury and everybody knew he's fake like it just felt very real to me and i wanted to know if all any of that and all of that played out similarly to the book Okay. I might. So I uh, let me preface. My guess would be no, but I want. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I there's a reason that I decided to answer all of these questions at once, uh, because the ending of the book is very different from the ending of the movie. Spoilers. None of the stuff you asked about is from the book. OK. So in the book, um, when Bertie runs away to her Uncle George's house, the inciting incident that makes her run away is that she sees Shaggy Beard's like messengers show up and she thinks that they've come to collect her because uh, her mom has already had the baby at this point and she panics and runs away. And while she is at Uncle George's house, she realizes that she can't wish herself into being a different person. All she can do is be exactly who she is and face her fate as only she can. And she writes in her diary, And it came into my head that I cannot run away. I am whoever I am, wherever I am. Like the bear and the popinjay, I cannot survive by myself. But I also cannot survive if I am not myself. I realize that Shaggy Beard has won my body, but no matter whose wife I am, I will still be me. Mayhap I can do what I must and still be me, still survive, and please God, even thrive. I have girded my loins like a warrior from the Bible, and am going forth to do battle with the enemy. He shall not find it a comfortable prize he has won. Okay. So Bertie returns home only to then discover that Shaggy Beard's messengers had not come to collect his bride, but rather to report that Shaggy Beard was killed in a tavern brawl, and that his son Stephen, who is described in the text as young, clean, and a lover of learning, <sighs> wishes to honor the marriage contract. So Bertie, keeping in mind what she's learned, approaches this change of fortune with hope and positivity. Okay. Now... The end of the book has never bothered me, but I understand why it might not be for everyone. Uh, it's a little convenient and surface level. It seems to carry this message about like sitting down and accepting your fate. I would disagree with that, but yeah, I, I don't know. You're not. Yeah, like, that's not I'm, I'm not saying. agreeing yes. with no, it, I know, but I, I like yes. I understand how you could read it and right. get that reading right. from it. Right. Um, but the novel is really a character study in which we watch Birdie mature over the course of a year. And part of that maturation is realizing the ways in which she's actually able to maintain her personhood in the face of a culture that does not want her to. She can't run away and be a knight, right? She can maintain her sense of self regardless of where she goes and what she does. I will agree that I agree. I think the movie ends similarly. Like, I think it, it ends on a similar note because ultimately, obviously, the whole thing with Shaggy the Beard is different. But like once she once the movie does wrap up, 
she is she does have a similar idea of like i i have to be who i am regardless of what comes and we see a suitor approaching in the background so she we know she is going to be married to somebody that whoever she gets chosen for right. uh, anyway sorry continue um and now i honestly like i don't i don't think it's a terrible message no. uh, we can't all be joan of arc uh, most of us have to learn to work within our circumstances especially yeah. in the time especially period. in the time period yeah. yes now the ending of the movie do I think it's fun? Yes, I do. Does it work in context of the changes that the movie made to the story and characters, especially Rolo? Mostly. Now, here's my tangent. Okay. <laughs> you mentioned Lena Dunham's white feminism. Yes. In the prequel the thing episode. she's probably most critiqued for. And my main beef with the ending of this film is that it is on full display here. So Lena Dunham obviously understands that in the Middle Ages, marriage was a financial and social strategy game, mm. especially the higher up you were in the social strata. And we know she understands this because she specifically changes the story so that Bertie's family is depending on her advantageous marriage to save them from financial ruin. Right. But Lena Dunham does not seem to understand how the feminist issue intersects with the economic issues of the time period this is yeah so in the book karen cushman very skillfully weaves in an explanation of feudalism into the story so readers understand kind of how the land rent system works okay. and how it yep. mostly just benefits the nobility at the tippity top of the pyramid right but this is nowhere to be found in the film so we're told that rollo spent up all the money but we don't see that reflected at all within the village. And in the feudal system, if you're a peasant and the lord whose land you live and work on is poor, guess what? You're destitute. I think the you're movie, probably starving. I think the movie makes one reference to this from my memory. I thought there was one. I agree that it doesn't cover it enough to make that point. I think there is one reference where some and unless I miss I thought somebody at one point makes a reference to how because they're poor that the village hasn't been getting what it needs. I thought I don't remember that. I could have swore there. I will say, I think it's like one line kind of just thrown in there and it's never really addressed again and doesn't seem to be an issue for the rest of the movie. So I agree that the movie still doesn't cover it. I do think it's just mentioned once. I thought yeah. there was like a, a mention of it. Well, I could and, be, I could and I think I, and my problem with it mostly is that we're not shown any of that. No, I, I agree, mean, yes. even even like the family apparently being poor, I feel like we don't really no. see no. like they say like, oh, the feasts aren't as grand, but like it looks like they're doing fine. Yeah, everything we see with them, they seem to be doing fine. Yeah, we're just told they're poor yeah. or they're struggling financially. It doesn't really seem like they yeah. are necessarily. And yeah, it's not reflect. It's definitely. And again, I think the same thing. I think there's one line from one of the, his assistants or aides or something. I thought about how some somewhere in the, the villagers haven't been some repairs haven't been happening or something. Something mm -hmm. hasn't been happening because Rolo has wasted all their money. But it, it's it's it almost is more of like a joke. Yeah. Like, ah, he's not not you're not doing a good job keeping up the village as opposed to like an actual commentary on the fact that he is financially ruined this village or whatever. So then on top of all of that, then the ending that we get 
resolves the feminist issue of an unwanted arranged marriage while ignoring that by having Bertie completely avoid having to marry, they've doomed not just the family, but literally the entire village. Because you can't solve one issue while leaving the other intact. Intersectionality. In, in defense of the movie, slightly, it's not that she's not getting married. She is. We see a suitor coming in the background right, at the end of the we see a suitor coming it is she is gonna get married it's just she's not that he he's that good there is yes we don't know how long it, it, it yes the, the, he has he has doomed the village and and their people to financial destitution for in a, another extended amount of time but it is implied that she will be married to somebody very soon it's just not going to be that gross guy i guess Okay. I, I agree the issues are still there. I'm the not issues, disagreeing. The, yes. I'm just saying, I think it's funny <laughs> that the problem here kind of ends up being intersectionality. <laughs> I agree. I agree. No, I, I uh, yes, I agree. Because I do think the thing that is most missing from the movie is the class analysis. Yes. Which is in stark keeping with everything I've ever heard about Lena Dunham's yes. material. <laughs> yes. Is that she is in fact a rich white girl from New York city or yeah. wherever she's from, who has never really uh, done much uh, contemplation or thinking about the intersectionality of class and other issues. It's more so like, yeah, it's very focused on the, the feminism, the women part of mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. of oppression and a little bit less so on every other uh, facet of an angle of oppression in society. It's just not as pivotal to what she's doing yeah. or exploring generally. So, but yeah. the other thing I had this thought today, I was like, I feel like you could kind of fix this. Kind of. I mean, you could fix it by like acknowledging it more. Um, but like the I ending, think that would be the big thing. The yeah. ending specifically, I think you could make a change, and uh, that would also bring it like a little bit closer in line with where the book ends. The Mitten Man. Instead of having that be the Mitten Man, she wanders outside. She gets her first kiss from this dashing young man close to her age. Doesn't know who he is. Okay. At the end of the movie, Shaggy Beard is gone. Maybe we rewrite that. Maybe we don't. I don't know. And then the boy that she had her first kiss from, surprise, was actually his son, who's going to honor the marriage contract. Yeah, that could work. It's a little, that's a little fairy tale ending. Like that's, I guess. Yeah. But I like it. No, it could be fun. <laughs> I will say, because I just remembered, though, I think the other thing that, and again, I agree the movie doesn't touch on this enough to the point mm -hmm. where it's still an issue. But from my memory, one of the things Shaggy Beard says when they're running him off is, I already gave you the money. You already spent the dowry or whatever. Like, he, I'm pretty sure Shaggy Beard says, like, I think they may already have gotten the money for her marriage. Right. And they basically just steal Birdie back. And this guy's enough of a coward that they just run him out of town. And I think the bigger thing is we, he would probably like try to come back and or do yeah. like, or bring people or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Or like try to get some, you know, some allies to like, Right. Whatever. Yeah. Try um, to seek some kind of some sort of yeah recompense. But or I something. think it's possible that the movie hand waves this away by going, well, they actually got the money from him that they needed 
and they were able to keep Birdie and she's going to marry somebody else. Okay, well, I that's also think. a little fairy tale. I agree. I agree. You know, it's definitely, I, and I agree. I agree. All the issues are still there. I think maybe, like, technically the movie does kind of address it. Again, this is just from my memory. I thought that I have a distinct memory of a line of him saying, like, you already took my money or something like that. And they're like, ah, who cares? Fuck you. And then they take her back or something. <laughs> I could have swore. So maybe that covers it slightly. But it, But again, to your point, they don't. There's not really much analysis or discussion of it. It's just kind of like a background thing that's happening and the movie doesn't care that much about, um, which we've talked about before. Not every movie has to cover all, you know, avenues of everything. But I, I, I think it is a very interesting fact that it does seem, again, yeah. that, like we said, that the, the, the place where the, the story falls shortest is where historically the criticisms I've seen levied against Lena Dunham's writing tend to fall the shortest, which is, again, intersectionality and yeah. class ism and that sort of stuff and and, and, it, and it just she made the change that made that an issue yeah yeah or and by choosing not to focus on uh aspects from the book that like yeah. you said where you 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 talking about how it gets into kind of the nitty-gritty of the feudal system and how that all works i think the movie could have done that a little bit more and we could have seen a little bit more of the plight of the commoner in this mm -hmm. area and how that how the actions of these royals affected them but again, that's not the focus of the story, but I think it still could have been in there a little more than the movie is, yeah. gave us. So, um, I yeah, but the ending of the movie is fun, uh, and I get why people would prefer it over the book. I can see why some people prefer I get it. it. I like the what you described at the book's ending. I like. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it works really well. Um, and again, I think the movie kind of goes for a similar thematic ending where it's yeah. like, yeah, she she still realizes that she's not going to have complete control over her fate, but she can kind of control how she approaches it and how she feels about it and, and like fighting for the freedom she can keep and that sort of thing. The movie ends on that note uh, while still giving us a more like triumphant fun. Yeah. You know, rousing, uh, uh, chasing off of like this gross dude. So, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's fine. All right, let's go ahead. I had one question that Katie decided made more sense to talk about in lost in adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. Wow, was lost. Yes, yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. So I wanted to know, at one point, Bertie goes to visit George and his wife, Ethel Fritha, uh, on their estate. Um, after, I think this is after she learns she's going to marry Shaggy Beard. And while she's visiting, uh, her, she talks to George the night before, and then the next day, Ethel Fritha wakes her up and takes her out to show her, like, their owls that they have. They're, like, pet owls. And they're, like, talking, and, and during this conversation, Ethel Fritha is like, we could run away together. And I was yeah. like, wait, what <laughs> is happening? I didn't know what to make of this scene. And so this is actually does make more sense in Lost in Adaptation. My question was, does it happen in the book? And then two, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, so this does happen in the book. Uh, I think the scene plays a little better in the book, though, because we have the backstory of Ethel Fritha, which is that at some point in her history, she was struck by lightning. Mm. And because of that injury, she's like not quite all there. I bet the movie says that. I don't remember. You know, they do the little pop-ups where they show, like, the character oh, bios. Oh, no, maybe they did. I bet it says that for yeah. her, like, 
was once struck by lightning or something. Yeah. Or, I bet there's some allusion to that. I don't remember, but I wouldn't surprise yeah. me if there was some allusion to but that. But like, but so in the book, we get like more examples of like kind of oddball behavior from her. Mm. Uh, Birdie once refers to her as mad as the moon. Yeah, she doesn't seem particularly mad in the yeah. film. She seems yeah. pretty normal other than this scene, which is very strange. <laughs> right. And, and, it, and it ends up like, like you, I'm not really sure what the movie wants me to make of her. I guess she's just supposed to be eccentric, but this particular scene does play weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, like we both wrote the exact same note. It's just not clear what the movie wants us to make of her here. Yeah, and, and this is the moment that spurs Bertie to like be like, no, I don't want to run away from my future. I want to, I, my people, would, you know, like my friends and family would miss me. I want to go, like it's kind of yeah. the moment that sparks her because she's been talking about running away this whole time. And so then this other person suggesting it kind of kicks her into realizing she she doesn't, shouldn't run away. But it is, I was like, but why is this the character saying do you mm -hmm. want to run away? It's just such a strange moment. And then in particular in the movie, it made it even extra weird to me because I swear she like Ethel Fritha gives her this look at one point while they're standing next to the owl thing. Ethel Fritha like looks down at her in a way that made me think that she was like into her. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do with that. Uh, I was yeah. like, I don't. This it is... becomes like a little uncomfortable. Yeah. And I can't imagine that the movie was trying to do so that. either. But. But that's it what was, it felt it was like odd. to me. Yeah. There felt like there was this weird tension where she was like sexually into Birdie. And I was like, is that what I'm supposed to be getting out of this scene or what? Because it's just, there's no, you don't understand. Because again, the earlier conversation we've had with this character, she seems very level headed and like, yeah. she completely knows what she's getting into with this marriage here and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden for her to be like, we should run me, you, me and you, a 14 year old girl, we should run away together. I was like, wait, that what? kind of goes contrary to like the whole speech you gave her earlier. And I guess this kind of maybe is a flaw in the movie in that you said that that speech wasn't by her really. And right. So like maybe that there's kind of conflicting characterization there in the film. But yeah, that scene, I was just I was a little unsure of what to make of it. And I'm not sure it worked <laughs> or like what was going on there. So I'm glad to know I wasn't alone in that feeling. All right. Those are all of my questions. It's time to find out what Katie thought was better in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. I'm sorry, but reading in the diary format just naturally works a lot better than a voiceover over uh, a neutral third-party viewpoint. Yeah. It just, it just does. Yeah, no, for sure. I thought the movie was fine. Like, I, like it, I, it didn't bother fine, me. It's fine, but... Yeah. but no, I, I think there were particular points where it did not work and it's obvious in the film that it is supposed to be a diary. Yeah. And I just think that reading a diary right. is, be is better <laughs> yes. than a voiceover film yes. story of a diary. Absolutely. Another thing that the movie had absolutely no chance at capturing is that Birdie starts every single entry in her diary by noting which saint's day it is and there's a little line about um what that saint did 
and usually how they died. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you know anything about Catholic saints, but all of the stories are oh, just patently insane. Nuts. Yes. I, I don't know them, but <laughs> I know enough. I've heard of enough of them to know they're all fucking crazy. Yeah. Uh, a couple of my favorite ones, a uh, 28th day of January feast of St. John, the sage an Irish philosopher who was stabbed to death by his students. Um, and uh, I feel like uh, that is the, the fate, uh, the, the, <laughs> The cherished fate of any philosophy professor <laughs> to be murdered by your students. I have to ask Aaron Rabinowitz, but I feel like he'd be like, yeah, no, that that's how I want to go. Um, third day of November, Feast of St. Rumwald, who at three days old said, I am a Christian and died. <laughs> um, and there's there's tons of them they're all like this right i didn't google every single one but every now and then i would like look one up and fact check and all of the ones that i looked up are real. are real yeah um and it's 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 amazing there's one at one point where she denotes like a saint who murdered their father and then the first line of that entry is i wonder how they did it yeah <laughs> That we do get like because so her brother gives her the saint book in the yes. movie and she reads or she mentions like one of the stories, but that's it. I think there's like one point where she mentions yeah. something that happened to one of the saints or or two of them, but it's not yeah, not the same thing as what you're describing yeah. in the book. Yeah, no, she does it at the beginning of every single entry, every single day, and it's like the most delightful little like you know how sometimes books will have like little quotes at the beginning of chapters, right, yeah. little like epigraphs. Yes. It's the most delightful little variant on that. Yeah, that is fun. I, I kind of hated the music in this movie. Yeah, I was mixed on that um, for sure. I really, in particular, hated the use of the the cover of My Boyfriend's when Back George when Uncle George up. is yeah. in town. Um, again, and I wrote, like, I actually think I kind of hate all the music choices. Okay, maybe not all of them. But the music overall, I thought, was just kind of like exactly what I expected for this movie. Yeah. And that was a little disappointing. Yeah, it, I, yeah I would agree. It was not my favorite. I don't, I don't know if I would have preferred just a traditional score. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it was, wasn't my favorite. Yeah. I, I, I almost think I would have preferred like, like bardcore covers of... See, stuff I, I don't know i don't know i don't know but that might this have, been been have been a year too. this is only a couple of years after what you call it uh bridgerton so i don't think True. that would have yeah. worked because that was all bridgerton did but i don't know i maybe i i i, I agree though i yeah. wasn't a huge fan of the music but it wasn't like terrible like i it didn't have me rolling my eyes yeah but it did have me being like all right it's mm. fine like it's not great, i also but. thought the the sound mix with the music was kind of loud like there were a couple points where the music came in and I was like, why is it so loud? Yeah, that could but, just as easily be the home home mix versus theater. You know, that, yeah, I guess so. That kind of stuff. Uh, there was not nearly enough recounting of being plagued by fleas <laughs> in this movie. Uh, frequently I think we only mentioned fleas. Once. I know frequently throughout the book, uh, Birdie will recount um, how many flea bites she has and how many fleas she killed that day. Uh, another thing that I really loved as a fifth grader because <laughs> I was a weirdo. Uh, one of Bertie's duties as a lady of the manor is to be proficient in making healing potions and salves. Mm -hmm. uh, and I loved these bits of the book because she's basically just making potions out of like whatever. Yeah. 
Uh, and I love the parts where she's like describing the ingredients for each thing because uh, they are gross and they feel at least feel historically accurate. She puts like dung in a lot of stuff yeah, yeah. and like bits of bugs and like just like the grossest things you could imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also what it was used for. And then there's also a running gag where she's bad at it and her healing selves never work. I think the movie includes a reference like an Easter egg joke reference to that. Yes. Where the, where where she, she makes Shaggy Beard a thing at one point. Oh, does she? Yeah. She makes him like a, a poultice, but she makes it out of like poop. I don't remember that. I, I remember him saying what I was thinking of his, he says, Oh, I have a lot of ailments and surely as a wife, you'll have, you have the ability to make the poultices and salves that I need or so, something mm-hmm. like that. And so that felt like a, because he's like, surely you have the skill to 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 make these things. And the fact that in the book, she's like bad at it. Yeah. Does she actually make one in the movie? I don't remember. That. Yeah. Because we see her like crawling around and then she brings him like a. a for what? For like. When? His, when he's getting dressed and she comes in and she's like, oh, I had not planned for you to see me in my skivvies or my under things or whatever that was the that scene, scene with his uh, his manservant i remember that scene who but kept making jokes in the background and i, I hated remember that it. scene but i don't remember the poultice yeah she thing. brings him like a poultice of okay. some sort but i didn't know because in the movie it's kind of implied that she wasn't like actually making a healing salve I mean, she, she wasn't actually right. making him a healing salve, but in the book, she actually does make healing she, salves and potions. She's just bad at it. Gotcha. Or maybe they don't work because it's basically just making potions out of leaves and sticks. Yes. Um, but anyway, it was a fun part of the book. Right. I wish the movie had done more braids or like other historical styles yeah, with her hair. She just has the same hair the whole time. Yeah, she, we see her have, have like two braids occasionally. But uh, on the OG book cover, she's wearing either a henan or a toque, uh, mm-hmm. which to my understanding is pretty period accurate. Yeah. And I get that not covering her hair emphasizes her youth to modern viewers, but I think they could have done a little bit more. Like, I think they could have done more like... Like, oh, she has an intricate braided style, but it's very, like, unkempt and it's coming loose and, yeah. like, falling out and, like, more of that thing kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. I don't recall now if the movie designated a certain year at the beginning. Like, did it say specifically Doesn't what it say it every it time there's a title card? Does it? Because it has, like, dates. I thought it had years included, but maybe I'm misremembering. Because the title remember. cards keep popping up that says like right, the 5th like all of November, and blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. I thought there were years included, but maybe not. I, can't I don't recall. remember. Uh, but the book very specifically is set from September 1290 to September 1291. I think they mentioned that at some point because I remember knowing it was like 1290 or like late 1200s. So they must have mentioned at some mm-hmm. point a year. And the book actually addresses a few real historical events, uh, including. The Edict of Expulsion, uh, where uh, King Edward I ordered all Jewish people to be expelled from the Kingdom of England. Mm-hmm. Uh, so early in the book, Bertie's mother provides shelter to a group of Jewish refugees who are like passing through. Uh, and Bertie is excited about this because it's 1290 and she's heard all kinds of wild things about Jews. <laughs> Spoilers, that will continue to be yes. the case. <laughs> To Um, current day. But so she's really excited. She's like, oh my gosh, 
this is going to be great. Uh, but then when she actually interacts with these people, just people. <laughs> she's surprised to discover that they're just normal people. Yeah. Um, she writes in her diary, not any different from Christians. <laughs> um, and then she writes, I think some stories are true and some stories are just stories. Um, now, does the book handle this element perfectly? Probably not. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate that the book acknowledged how Jewish people were treated at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then instead of making it like this big, like moralizing message moment, Birdie and the reader are allowed to put it together for themselves. Yeah. Uh, there's a moment when Uncle George first arrives back from the Crusades and he's telling her tall tales about all of the fantastic animals that he's seen in his travels. And he's describing like dragons and unicorns. Uh, and then he describes an elephant. And Birdie writes in her diary that this is obviously made up. I mean, yeah. No creature so ridiculous could exist. Trunk? Tusks? What is this nonsense? A tail at both ends? No. Ridiculous. When Birdie is jealous of George and Alice, she tries to do an anti-love spell and, uh, involving graveyard dirt. <laughs> Amazing. Like she, she throws graveyard dirt at them and they're both like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Um, and then when they have to marry other people and they're miserable, she spends a good chunk of time like consumed with guilt that her spell worked um, <laughs> before realizing that matters of love and romance are just more complicated than she thought. Uh-huh. There's a truly upsetting scene in this book um, involving a hanging. So near the beginning, Birdie is mad that she isn't allowed to like go over to the next town to watch a hanging. That's in the movie. Yes, too. that is mentioned in the movie. Um, But a few months later, she gets the opportunity to go to one. Uh, She's all jazzed. She's having fun. She's like, oh, boy, a hanging. Uh, And then she looks up and she realizes that the big bad thieves that are going to be hanged are actually two terrified 12-year-old boys who are, like, crying and begging for mercy. Um, And it is, as I said, a truly upsetting scene. Uh, and it, it's a major turning point for Birdie as she matures and she realizes that not everything is this fun game. Yeah. Uh, there's a moment, uh, they do have the Christmas play in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, a little joke in there about how they had to uh, switch out the girl who was going to play Mary because she's clearly no longer a virgin. The movie just makes that joke, but has the woman be yeah. Mary still. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned of Shaggy Beard's comic relief manservant in that one scene. I hated that. I, I hated it so much. I was what, not, was what was even the point? I was not a fan of that scene as well, or either. I did not like it. I, I, I think they just, I don't want to say they just wanted to get that actor in there, but that actor, do you know who that is? That's Jamie. No. Uh, the actor who plays that person is Jamie uh, Demetrio. Does that name sound familiar? No. He's the brother of Natasha Dimitrio, who is Nadia oh. from What We Do in the Shadows. That's her brother, um, that actress. And okay. he's a pretty prominent, or both of them were are pretty prominent, like, co- sketch comedians in oh, England, okay. uh, like, like over in the UK mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and he's, like, fairly popular. And so I think it's kind of like a fun cameo for UK audiences, because I think they would know who he is. I say that it's not like he's like a huge celebrity or anything, but like, anyways, um, I, I agree. I was also not a fan of that scene. I just thought it was interesting that that's who that was. I was like, that's Nadja's brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, at any rate, 
I really hated that character. Yes. <laughs> just standing in the background doing commentary. I'm like, why? And then he's not in anything else anyway. Yeah. Uh, so in the book, uh, her friend Meg, uh, who works at the dairy, I don't know if it's mentioned in the movie that she works in the dairy. Uh, I the, thought she the, was the, like, like a maid, like the, a like, housemaid or something. Girl. Her name is Meg. Yeah, I remember Meg. I, just, I thought she literally worked for like the estate and was yeah. like, a, like a servant or something. Um, no, so she, well, I, I don't remember what she is in the book in the, or in the movie. In the book, she works at the dairy. She's the dairy maid. Um, and she gets married in the book. And uh, Birdie does the new couple a uh, solid by convincing her father to let the newlyweds move into uh, Perkins' grand re- recently departed grandmother's cottage. Cause there's this cottage sitting empty. Um, That's nice. And it, it, it's nice. And, it, and it's kind of her first, like, attempt at getting what she wants by, like, working within the system. So it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. That scene, there's a quiet scene with Perkin in in the movie. I think this is when Birdie's trying to convince him to, like, run away and get married with her, I think. Or maybe it's later. I don't remember. But there's, like, a quiet scene with him where they're kind of, like, sitting with each other. And I felt like it was supposed to be emotional. But I also didn't think that we'd spent enough time with him to make it work quite right. If it's a different scene, I don't know. If it's the scene where he kind of comes out to her, I thought that scene worked pretty well, if that's the scene you're talking about. Because the one where she tries to convince him to run away, that that's the scene where he like comes out to her, basically. Yeah. I thought that scene worked pretty well. If there's another scene you're talking about, I don't remember that. Then I think I, that probably is the scene that you're talking I about. I liked that but... scene. I thought it worked. I thought we had a new enough of Perkin for that to work personally. Like, that scene worked for me. Like, I thought it was kind of a sweet scene, but... Yeah. I don't know. On my last note here, I really, really hated the CGI shot of the bird flying away and then like dropping out of the sky dead. I didn't even end. see that. I was literally taking a note and you said that and then I looked up and it had already happened. It looked so, I missed it. so bad. It just looked so bad. What is the point of the bird dying there? I don't know. That's the thing, because she's letting all the birds fly free, and it's like a nice thematic moment. Yeah. I have a note about it here in a minute. But then it just, like, drops out of the sky dead. I, I don't know. Okay. Because, yeah, that's the weird part. It's like, well, what's the, what am I supposed to get from that? Because it is, like, the big, like, kind of climax. to be a little funny jokey joke, I guess. I don't, mm, I don't okay. know. All right. All right, that was all that Katie had for Better in the Book. It's time to find out what she thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. So in the book, Birdie actually has three older brothers. We lost one of them for the movie, but that's fine because we don't need Thomas. I (laughs) I don't think we ever even meet him in the book. Maybe we do very briefly. Um, but he he works for the king, uh, so he's always gone. I loved the addition of Alice's stepmother. Yes, who, she was so who fun. simply cannot with her husband. Yes, I loved her. That was the actress uh, we were talking about from The Witcher. Yeah, um, I wanted a movie about her. She was amazing. I yeah, she was so much fun. 
I really liked that Birdie and Alice had their lady lessons together. Mm-hmm. Um, that was not something Learning that, to yeah. Embroider and yes. play the recorder. <laughs> yeah. God, the recorder. Yeah. yeah, that was not something that they did together in the book. So I thought that was nice. I liked the scene where all of the monks are like hot young men. Yes. But that was funny. And uh, and Birdie has like a a coming of age moment where she's yeah. like, wait a second. Hang on. <laughs> um, Robert, uh, the movie ages him down. Um, and, and in general, I liked all of the changes that the movie made to Robert because he was kind of awful in the book. Um, yeah. And they, they aged him down a little bit. Um, and he was actually in the book married once before to a 12 year old and they weren't supposed to consummate the marriage until she was like a little older, but they did. And then she was pregnant and then she died. <gasps> um, and then I think we're supposed to not not like Robert at the end, but like be a little bit OK with him. And I was like, I don't know if I'd be OK <laughs> with that guy marrying my best friend. Yeah. I don't think I would be. Um, so I was I was cool with losing that whole bit. Yeah. Uh, I liked the scene where Meg explains sex to Birdie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also liked having Meg in the story a little bit more in general. Yeah. I thought that was a nice addition. I liked that we see that Robert does genuinely love Alice. Uh-huh. That's kind of glossed over in the book. Uh, the movie, I thought, made a good change in how Birdie uses the silver that she gets from Shaggy Beard. yeah. yeah. So in the book, uh, they go to a midsummer fair in a larger town where Birdie sees a captive performing bear. Uh, And because the bear won't dance and therefore is not making its captor any money, he decides that he's going to do a bear baiting instead Mm -hmm. and essentially force the bear to fight some dogs to the death. Right. And Birdie, understandably super upset by this, and she decides to sacrifice herself and trades Shaggy Beard's silver for the bear. And then in the end, it ends up being Robert, her least favorite brother, who helps her find a home for the bear, uh, which forces her to reconsider her bad opinion of him. Again, I don't know if I would reconsider my bad opinion of Robert, but that's neither here nor there, I guess. Uh Um, Now, to be clear, I do like this part of the book um, with the bear. It has lived rent free in my head since the year (laughs) 2000. I forgot that it was from this book. And then I was like, oh, my God, the bear. But I think the movie's change in having her use the money to help Robert marry Alice ties things together a little more smoothly. Yeah, and and that being the impetus for her kind of realizing Robert isn't... Yeah, does, isn't quite as bad. Isn't as obnoxious as she's always thought he is when she realizes, oh, he like really cares for Alice yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was sweet. I also liked getting to see Alice and Robert's wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. A little Uh, dance scene. Yes. Uh, And I mentioned it a minute ago, but the scene where she sets all of the birds free, um, they moved that to like the very end, which I thought was a nice thematic ending moment. Mm -hmm. Um, In the book, she sets all of them free, like right before she thinks she's going to have to uh, leave to marry Shaggy Beard. Ah, yeah. Cool. All right. Let's go ahead and talk about the handful of things that the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. The mud fight that she's in at the very beginning of the Mm -hmm. movie while they're raising a cottage that is from the book, um, albeit a little bit later in the book. Okay. Perkin does have a limp and he is afflicted with terrible wind. Okay. 
she does throw her spinning into the the outhouse. If in case you the, haven't the read or watched them, read or watched Terrible Wind, he farts a lot. That's yes. what that means. He's Just got gas. To make it clear. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> uh, she throws her spinning into the outhouse to kind of uh, get rid of it. Mm-hmm. She throws a bunch of stuff in there. Yeah. In the book, she likes to get rid of stuff in the outhouse. Yes. Uh, when her dad asks her, uh, "What color is your hair when it's clean?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's from the book. Yeah. Um, talks about Edward giving her the book of saints. Um, Uncle George, uh, tells her the truth about what the crusades are like. Uh, she has this kind of like hyped up romantic idea yeah. of like going on the crusades. And he's like, actually, it's just a death everywhere. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene in particularly where she like makes herself ugly before she comes down to dinner with a suitor, mm-hmm. um, and like blacks out her teeth and does all this stuff. Yeah. She does burn down the outhouse uh, while a potential suitor is in it. Yeah, that was a wild scene. In the scene. book, yeah. I was like, did she murder that suitor? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> he does He does manage to leave the latrine, um, but they do have to then build a new one. Mm-hmm. Um, she does get to stay um, until the baby is born um, when, she is, when she's engaged to Shaggy Beard. Um, and the priest does try to baptize the baby while it is still crowning because they think it's not going to be ah, born yeah. all the way. Yeah. All right. We got a handful of odds and ends before the final verdict. First thing I was kind of wondering in this movie was whether or not that method of feminine hygiene was anywhere close to historically accurate. Yeah, it seemed probably, but I had no idea. <laughs> I did I did a very quick Google and it seems like generally yes. Um like a like a wad of linen. Yeah. Um especially for a girl who would be able to easily access yeah. fabric like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I thought casting Walder Flip Frey slash Filch, whatever that actor's name yeah. is, uh as Alice's dad is was just a great choice. He's just the most he plays the most loathsome gits ever. Like he's just very good at that. Uh, The man found his niche. Yes, he really (laughs) did. Like he's so good at playing just the most awful and just oh, you just hate him. You're like, you're the worst. (laughs) I okay. Tell me if you have the same thought here. When we first meet Alice. Yes, I had the same thought. And and Bertie is like talking about how beautiful Alice is and all this stuff. And yes. I was like, is this movie are we gonna make her sapphic? I thought so. I thought maybe yes. I actually think it's still not even outside the realm of possibility that that is the point that she's not that she is like bi or whatever. Yeah, like that she does possibly. have a romantic interest in Alice a little bit. I was I was a little disappointed because I felt like the movie set that up and then didn't really do anything else yeah. with that. I think it could be a fine. I I agree. I think there's maybe an argument that it's like an okay like that you don't really need to do anything with it because it's just like for for like, kind I'm of not, older audiences you can kind of view it as like yeah that like young not really sure not right not, and I'm not sort of saying like that we needed to do anything kind of big with it like yeah. I don't think it needed to be a plot right, point. Right. But I do think that, like, you know, we have this kind of, like, one instance of this and then never again. Yeah. Well, I would argue that pretty much their entire time up until 
Birdie starts kind of taking more interest in some boys and stuff. I think like a lot, it's not just one instance in the beginning of the movie. I think a lot of, there's like a handful of scenes up until a certain point Hmm. that all to me felt like, like, like the way she talks about Alice, the way they interact a little bit here and there. And like the way she looks at her, there's a handful of moments throughout that in the lead up of their relationship that to me thought I had the same thought that they were going to take it that direction. Um, and I, I agree that I think maybe if anything, there could have been some, maybe in the scene where like, and I don't think you need to be a big, mo- it doesn't need to be a big moment, but maybe in the scene where Perkins sort of, but, and maybe that is the moment it, when Perkin kind of basically comes out to her to, to birdie. Uh, if there was some sort of, Maybe that would be the moment to acknowledge it in some way. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, and maybe maybe the fact that she just kind of embraces Perkin and doesn't question or say anything about it is that acknowledgement. Like maybe that scene is. Yeah, maybe. You could argue maybe that that scene is her kind of like. I don't know. To, I don't know. to me, it just felt like something that the movie like put in and then abandoned i don't which entirely to, to me made it feel like a little bit cheap but i also i i because i also went back and forth and i'm like uh, maybe that's what they're going for but also maybe like reading yeah too maybe much into not it, because like there, there's like a they have a very intense like friendship like it's, yeah it's not outlandish just i you know you could see somebody who's not remotely um you know, uh, queer in any way, having like a very intense or like ends up ultimately not being, you know, gay or queer or or bi or whatever, having like a very intense kind of relationship with somebody of the same gender as them at a young age that doesn't ultimately lead to anything necessarily. And and maybe, I don't know. I agree. It is interesting because it does feel like the movie kind of is pushing us that direction and then it just kind of doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, And again, not that it needs to like go anywhere specific, but it does feel like it's just, but it does feel like it just got wholly abandoned. Yeah. To me, I would agree with that. I think Um, it wasn't a huge issue. Like, and I don't think you're saying it's a huge issue, but yeah. 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 I, cause I did, I did. No, cause if I thought it was a huge issue, I would have put it in one of the main sections. Yeah. Um, speaking of not huge issues, but (sighs) yeah. What a weird random choice to have Russell Brand cameo as a suitor. This is the same thing as the, as having Jamie, the the dude, the man. Like that, that could have been literally anyone. And you went with Russell Brand. I think, I think that, I think Lena Dunham is just friends with Russell Brand. That seems, <sighs> it strikes me as completely I, I that I would be less surprised to learn almost anything than to learn that Lena Dunham is friends with Russell Brand. Fair enough. In in, in all of his horrible problematic lore, like that surprises would surprise me zero amount. <laughs> I don't know if she still would be based on where he has gone uh, in intervening years, but that it's again just not surprise me at all that she would uh, you know was just like hey I want my friend to have this cameo like this little moment in this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah sure i I don't know that's a straight up (laughs) guess but i that would not surprise me at all the the moment when she's uh when she's on the table yelling and oinking at shaggy beard and he's like "Ooh, spicy yes i was like oh no oh no yeah (laughs) 
I, my last note, and it's, it, we basically already talked to this about this, but um, and, and I think the book's version is more realistic. But ultimately, I thought that the movie ended up like where are the the women characters in this story kind of where their storylines wrap up and end felt very realistic for kind of the outcomes that the women of this time period would end up with mm-hmm. I, despite the fact that you know the whole duel with shaggy beard and stealing him away or her away from him and all that is a little bit like you know maybe a little like over the top and a little yeah. whatever um she isn't like rescued from her fate necessarily she's rescued from her fate with this one dude but she's right. still gonna have to marry the next you know another suitor that comes along shortly thereafter and i thought just in general um the movie and i kind of mentioned earlier is just very grounded and realistic in the what outcomes were even possible for women during this time period like yeah. again it didn't feel like it's, the yeah, book or the film like, tried to like sugarcoat it's or, not outlandish it's not like something where you're you know you're watching it and you're like well that's nice but that would have yeah, never, never happened. happened yeah i didn't feel like that which i thought was kind of nice and a little bit of a surprise because i was thinking maybe which yes. is what we talked about that maybe we would end up getting some very like modernized takes on yes <laughs> on where I, these, I was very worried about that yeah going on where into the this. story would go or story would go and i felt like it ultimately kind of stayed pretty grounded and realistic in in the outcomes for these characters which i thought was nice which i thought was interesting mm-hmm. All right, before we get to the final verdict, we want to remind you, you can do us a giant favor by heading over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Goodreads. Just give us a follow, a like, subscribe, whatever you can do on all those platforms. Interact. We'd love to hear what you have to say about Catherine Called Birdie. We will talk about it on our next prequel episode. If you could do us another favor after that, head over to uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, not Stitcher anymore. I think it's dead now, but uh, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast, drop us a little five-star rating and uh, write us a little review about what you like about the show. Helps get us out to more people. And if you really, really, really want to support us, you can head over to patreon.com slash thisfilmislit. Support us there for a few bucks a month. Get access to bonus content starting at the $5 a month level. You get uh, every month we release a bonus content episode. Uh, what are we doing this month? We haven't recorded uh, Anastasia. We That's always right. still we need to do it. it. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do Anastasia. So we'll be having that come out in the next couple weeks. Uh, and then last month we did Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Uh, yeah, every month we do uh, something uh, that we want to talk about and just kind of do a little bonus episode. You get that at the $5 level at the $15 and up level. If you have something you would really like for us to talk about. Give us that 15 bucks a month, stick around for a little bit and recommend it. And we will put it into our uh, schedule as soon as we can get it in there. Katie, it's time for the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. said a lot during this episode, so I'll try to keep things a little short and sweet here. I mentioned briefly in the prequel episode that this book came out during a period of time when a lot of middle grade fiction marketed to girls was realistic historical fiction featuring plucky young heroines, uh, something I refer to as historical girl power. To give a few examples, uh, American Girl, Dear America, The Royal Diaries, etc. Now, I can't speak to what exactly kicked off this trend. But I think what made it so popular, at least among us nerdy little weirdos, was its willingness to be honest and unflinching about what life was actually like for women and girls at different points in history. Its willingness to not just acknowledge, but to fully explore the bad parts. 
Catherine called Birdie is no exception to that. And I think that's why I prefer the arguably anticlimactic ending of the book. It feels real, whereas the movies feels a little coated in the veneer of 21st century girl power, which can be fun and inspiring, but more often than not skims over the realities of what it truly is to be a girl. And I think that's my issue with the movie in general. While there were a lot of changes that in other instances might result in my preferring the film, in this case the movie ended up feeling a little superficial, uh, a bit of a cry from the subtle character-driven story of the book. Add on top of that, the book's truly unique voice of its narrator, coupled with a humor that I just realized this week was very influential on my own sense of humor, and you have something that feels unique in a way that the movie just can't capture. I understand why someone might prefer the movie for its changes, but for its grit and glorious embrace of the unpleasant, I have to give this one to the book. All right, Katie, what's next? Um, up next, uh, we are staying in the realm of historical fiction, but we are moving quite a bit forward in time. But we're also staying with weird titles. Yes, um, we are talking about... <laughs> The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. We're in our weird care, weird title arc. <laughs> weird title era. A little yeah. bit, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, this I, one's even weirder than little, yes. Catherine called Birdie. Uh, and long. Yes. Um, I hope I pronounced Guernsey correctly. Probably not. It's don't British, know if right? I did. Yeah. Yeah, probably uh, Yeah, it's a, a <laughs> World War II historical fiction sweet uh sounds interesting we will check that out in two weeks time but in one week's time we're seeing what you all had to say about Catherine called birdie as well as previewing the guernsey literary and potato peel pie society until that time guys gals non-binary pals and everybody else keep reading books keep watching movies and, and keep, keep being, being awesome, awesome.